This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The second lesson comes from the book of Romans. The promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no wrath, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us, and it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said. So numerous shall, be, shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but, all, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses, and was raised for our justification. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It's still morning. It's great. This day just keeps going. All righty. For all of you that love to keep organization and use your bulletins to check off to see whenever we're done, I'm going to try and hit on three promises. So keep that in mind, and you'll know when we're getting towards the end. Now, <laughs> now, question for all of you. I'm going to need a little bit of participation. I'll need you to raise your hand if this applies to you or not. Have you ever, in your life, ever made a promise to yourself. Yeah, maybe one. Okay, okay. Have you at any point made a promise towards another person? Okay, alrighty, alright. Alright, now here's a little bit of a harder one. We're going to see a huge drop in numbers probably. Have you ever made a promise in your life that has so radically changed it that you would never be able to go back to life the way it was before? Yeah, a few. Yeah, mine was accepting my call to ministry, and it is a new life altogether that I am in now. <laughs> See, with promises, we we have so many of them, 
We have so many different kinds and different ways, and some of them are less important on the grander scheme of how we get through life and how we perceive others, and some of them are drastic and life-changing. In some of these promises, it's, for the next 40 days, I will stop eating chocolate. You know? Okay. In the grand scheme of however many years that you live, is it going to impact you greatly? It might. It might not. Some promises like, um, oh, I promise to do the dishes. Yeah, that's one of those that we really hope comes true. But sometimes, sometimes. We used to say, by used to, and we, I mean hundreds of years ago, we used to say, it is on my honor that I will now do this. Puts more of a weight to it, a little bit of saying that this promise that I am making with you, um, if I do not hold up my end of the bargain, uh, this is going to be publicly known. We're going to know that I have not helped out. I did not hold up my side. Um, It is my reputation that will now be tarnished. And I think that in our modern culture, we have forgotten that. We have forgotten a, I guess, a, a loyalty that you could say to your promises. That, we, that it is our word, that it is something binding. I feel that we tend to use excuses quite often. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't get to praying last night. I was tired, I mean. I worked a long day. You know, these excuses will come forward. I think that, we, that this desensitization of promises has impacted us in a negative way. The fact that when I was younger and my mother asked me to do the dishes, I would say, yes, mom, I promise to do the dishes. What do you think the first thought of her mind was? Sure. You're going to do the dishes? Okay. I'll remind you five more times. Because you're going to forget because you're looking at the TV right now. Right? Immediately. It's not, okay, he'll do the dishes. It's, sure, I'll ask you 50 times, and you might do it four times out of the 50 times. In that same way, I find it difficult to see Abraham and this covenant, this promise that God gives, because my first thought is, sure. Abraham, I I promise you, I promise you that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. They will be all over the place. I personally can see Abraham going, mm-hmm, you're telling me at 100 that I'm going to have a whole bunch of kids? You're telling me and my wife, we're both in our hundreds, that we're going to have kids? That would be a modern miracle today, let alone thousands of years ago, for someone to have kids. And at that point, Abraham had one, And it was with another woman. But the amazing thing to me is that that promise did actually come true. I mean, it developed into the Judaic, the Islamic, and the Christian faiths, but people who love God and people who now number in the billions... 
I will be the God of your descendants, and it will be as numerous as the stars. And boy, did that come true. But what I really appreciate is a little bit further on down, is how how God says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. To me, that's just a scream of love, of God saying, you know what? I promise here and now that not only will I be you until the day, will I be with you until the day that you die, but I will be with your descendants. I promise to hold your hand and to guide you. I promise to love you. I promise to cry, to mourn, to laugh, to play, to sleep and to read, but I promise to be your God. And that this will be an inheritance to your descendants, that I will be theirs. Promise one. A promise of inheritance, of continuation, of always being there. Now Paul, our writer of the epistle today, looks further into this text and says, for the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. This isn't a law that was placed down, I promise, here we go, because as Paul had said, that would lead to wrath. That would lead to people disobeying or obeying. But rather, this was out of grace. This was out of faith. This was out of love that God said, let me give you this gift to you because of faith. That through listening and through being, you can receive this. For this reason, Paul writes, It depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. You don't need to follow the Levitical laws. It's good to follow laws, but it's the faith. It's the faith that got us here. By sharing in this faith, we are promised God as our Lord the one who's with us and loves us, and it is not because we do something or anything at all. It's not that we do something good. It's just that we have faith, a free gift. Something that we heard last week is that a life-giving promise in trust, in trust in faith, But now, I feel that this can become difficult to be sitting here and to say, okay, so faith, trust, I need all these things. I need to follow God, even when it's sometimes very hard to see God, but I have to have this. Well, it's going to be difficult. I can promise that. (laughs) But what I can show even more is that in our gospel message, 
we have more people alongside of us that are struggling with this. We see that immediately Jesus says, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Which is then met by Paul, by Peter, excuse me, by Peter immediately grabbing Jesus and pulling him to the side. All that we're told is that it says, Peter rebukes Jesus. I can imagine this sort of conversation being of high intensity, words that probably shouldn't have been said towards Jesus, but something along the lines of, what? You're going to what now? You're, you're going to die? I thought you were, I thought you were the, the Messiah, the chosen one who's supposed to come and pull us and lead us into salvation. I thought you were the one that was supposed to do all these grand things. What? What do you mean by saying that? I can see the fear, the horror, as he's slowly trying to come to terms with what Jesus has said. Jesus then to look at Peter and then look at the rest of the disciples and see the exact same expression on all of their faces. One of fear. For Jesus to then just say, no, I can't. Get behind me, Satan, no. You are focused not on the everlasting, not on the promise of eternity, but on the here and now, the physicalities of this world. Please, Peter, have faith. Have trust. Jesus implores us to have faith to set aside the temptations and the troubles of this world and to follow him in a passage that we hear all so often. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But how difficult that is to do. How hard it is. We are called to trust in his promise and that those who are ashamed of Jesus and of his words in this adulterous and sinful generation, this generation of lack of promise and lack of understanding and lack of faith. But to them, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his, faith, of his Father with the holy angels. Because we have forgotten this free gift of faith, this gift of grace, this promise of life eternal. But therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words that was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. Hmm. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who is handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. 
I found it easier once I had the help of my, my New Testament professor, Dr. Mark Allen Powell, when he talked about reckoned in our class. He said, God reckons you as righteous. This means God regards you as righteous. God sees you as righteous. And that you are completely clean as Jesus is. Not a spot, not a speck. You are actually incredibly sinful, but you are clean through and through. And a promise that we talk about so often and see, a promise that we can pinpoint in our lives for most of us, that we were baptized with physical element of water and the words to make a sacrament that we will be cleansed through God, through all that is to come. That is the second promise. Now for this, we do nothing. We do nothing at all. Abraham's faith was merely that when he was told something that was completely uncertain and unclear and wouldn't make much sense, Abraham fell to his face in worship and in saying, yes, I believe in you. In which God said, by this faith, by this free gift that I give you, by you showing this, You will have life abundant, no strings attached. And that us, all of us, are justified by grace through faith alone. And it is a beautiful thing. So my prayer for us all is that we remember our promises. We remember our promises with ourselves with others, from others to us, and we remember those promises that God gave to us. A promise that God will be beside us as an inheritance, always. A promise that we are cleansed and that we are cleaned through our baptisms. And thirdly, an everlasting promise that we will see so vividly in 30 days. So you'll have to come back for that last one. I couldn't hit it this time. As we go through Lent, may we notice the promises that we make and strive to live a life where our words are not second-guessed, but rather that they exemplify love and forgiveness for all that we encounter. Amen.